This is a crypto finance podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you. Thanks for the turnout. This seems to be uh, an interesting topic to many. Bitcoin fees, or fees in more general actually, because I will use Bitcoin as an example, but everything works the same way. So first, this touches a few things that we had in previous sessions, but who pays the fees? Bernard? You pay the fees. Thank you very much for your service. Everybody pays the fees. The user pays the fees. Yes, the one that does the transaction pays the fees. That's actually because, I mean, user is somewhat ill defined, and that's just the difference. If you hold Bitcoin, you are a user as well. The sender usually pays the fees. Yes. Who gets the fee? The miner. What does the miner actually get? <laughs> Very good. And the block subsidy. The block subsidy, right. The reward in general. So I mean to, to put that into perspective, right now I looked at a few recent blocks. Right now the the fee per block is what would you guess? No. No the, the fee. The, the, the total fee per block. Just exaction fee. Mm -hmm. 0 0.01 Bitcoin. So it's 0 0.1 Bitcoin, roughly. Um, which on top of 12.5 Bitcoin um, block rewards, so the subsidy, is almost negligible. Right. We did have blocks where this was different, and we'll come to that uh, as well. But uh, just in order to make some of the, the economics of this thing sure, currently, like almost all of it is paid off of the, the minor reward is actually paid from the subsidies or from the holders uh, that are dilute, diluted with each newly minted coins and not really from, from the people that do the transactions. If you were a miner and you had uh, transactions lying around and you were free, to include in a block whatever transaction you, that you that you want, which transactions would you choose? None. That's actually a very good answer. None, because that you are, then you are faster. Um, this is something I'm not quite sure if we still see that, but that we did see um, 2016 quite a lot from Via BTC and Arndt pool, uh, two pools that. Uh, they would, of course, try to include um, transactions, because why not? But shortly after a block, right? If, you, if, just a, if, if a block just arrived, so you just got the header of a block that, that arrived at you, you did not have time yet to, um, to disassemble that block to see which transactions made it in there. Um, so you did not know which transactions to choose for the next block that you are mining on. That then they would just mine empty blocks. Um, until they, they actually um, processed the previous block and could add transactions to the block. But it would thus quite often happen that if, if one block follows another block very quickly, that the second block would be empty. And this very quickly was, there was, there was a, a nice episode, I totally forgot about that, thank you very much. Uh, there was a nice episode in the, uh, in the debate about uh, block size, because by looking at how long does it actually take, 
before they don't produce empty blocks anymore, that would give you an estimate on how, how long it takes for a block to propagate and to be processed at the miners, which is, of course, a very interesting metric for discussing how much larger can we actually make a block. It was somewhere between 10 and 30 seconds at the time, which uh, of 10 minutes is a sizable amount. Okay, but apart from that, let's, let's assume that you processed the block already. Uh, which, which transactions would you choose? The ones with the biggest reward, yes. So let's say we have a spam transaction that takes one input and 2,501 outputs, which is something that we've actually seen quite a lot of times. Uh, that's a transaction which is very close to the 100 kilobyte maximum allowed um, size. And that thing pays you, say, five bucks. And you have another one with one input and two outputs, and that thing pays you one buck. So you take the one, tra the transaction's not in as transaction the highest amount, but highest sets per, per, per byte? Highest uh, fee rate is what, what yeah. kind of makes sense. Actually, that's, that's another fun story in this context, uh, is uh, choosing the best possible set of transactions is an NP-hard problem. Right? So it's, uh, it's like it takes exponential time to figure out the best choice, because there might be that if you, if you just take the... the, the I'm, I'm, digressing again but if you if you just order them by by fee rate and start taking the, the highest paying next 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 you might end up in a situation where you cannot fit another transaction in while if you would have chosen different ones you would have been able to fit another one in. right so is this even relevant given how we started here that total fees is still quite small relative to the block reward yeah um no, right now it's, it's not really relevant. Right now you can probably neglect that. You can neglect most of it. Um, okay, I, I wanted to save that for somewhat later, but uh, let's, let's go there right now. Um, this is a chart of uh, the total mining fee. So you did have times, uh, say in 2018, January 2018, that was... Um, when the price was very high and transactions were really true transactions. And also, again, in, uh, in, in May 17 to yeah, around that time, when, when this was probably uh, spam attacks uh, in order to make the blocks appear full, um, when the amount was significantly higher than it is today. Then this is like two Bitcoin, right? And, and individual ones which, which are which are significantly higher. Um, let's go back to the last five years because there is, uh, my take a while, because there is, there is one peculiarity. There was one block which actually paid 219 uh, Bitcoin in a single transaction. Actually, I did not even check how much the other ones gave, the other transactions in that block gave on top of that, but probably negligible. Um, so there, there, this, in that case, was clearly a mistake and there was quite a lot of um, discussion uh, around how this happens, the bond that, that did that then also weighed in and said that um, he somewhat chose, he had a rather manual software where he chose each of these things manually. So by choosing, I want this input and I want an output of 20 BTC, uh, but not specifying what happens to, with the rest, the rest was considered like the fee is the difference between inputs and outputs. Uh, so right now the fees are actually quite low. They are around 0 0.1 um, Bitcoin per block. But there have been other times in the past 
where they were of order of bitcoins, right? One, two bitcoins, like on uh, not not with individual events, but on average. And with the upcoming halving, for example, when the when the reward when the subsidy drops to six point two five bitcoin, uh, if we go to such levels of interest uh, again, then um, then getting something like uh, two bitcoin per block is a sizable amount. So then it starts to get interesting. Then it starts to maybe also get more competitive. And this is why I want to talk about this now. Um, because I, I've noticed that it's not actually usually, um, always clear uh, what, why a certain uh, Bitcoin fee was chosen for a certain transaction. So we talked about if you are a miner, what transaction, which transactions do you choose? Let's do it the other way around. Say you want to do a transaction and you can observe all the numbers, you can observe what happens. How do you choose which transaction you are willing to pay? Depends on how fast I want to have my transaction propagated. Oh. Let's say we make that parameterizable. Statistics, we measure the size of the manifold. Yeah, and then? The average fees in it. You know what all the others are paying. There's still the uncertainty when the next block is. Mm -hmm. But I guess if you want to be in the next, you need to be better than most of the ones in the manifold. But what about if there's two factors and that's that's how much fee you pay and the amount of outputs you have, decrease the amount of outputs to the minimum and increase the amount of fees to the maximum, let's say. Um, sure, um, sure. Um, maybe I should have said that. Um, the you, I mean, when we talked about it in the beginning, the fee rate, right? Fee rate is of course not per Bitcoin that you spend or something of that type. It's per size that it takes in the limited space of the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Used to be one one megabyte now it's four virtual byte virtual megabyte um of, of of space that you have in the in the blockchain per block um and a transaction is the the size of a transaction is determined by the number of inputs and the number of outputs like in general there are exceptions to that there are op returns where you can put additional data in there if you want uh stuff like that but let's take with the the stuff that you would be able to do with your mobile wallet has the only thing that determines there is number of input and number of outputs. An output is actually rather small and an input is rather big because with the input you have to add the, the signature which has a significant size while for the output you just prepare for somebody else to take it, right? to, to, to put a lot of one. This is why it's possible to have something like 2501 outputs as we've seen in quite a lot of spam transactions but the number of inputs that are even possible is, I think, 400. Uh, more than that would be above 100K. Um, so you would not be able to put that, to get that in a block in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin Cash SV, for example, starting 4th of February, uh, the limit will be one gigabyte per transaction. Not per block, right? Really per transaction. So, so there, there are, I mean, as a, as a miner, we, we gave one answer, which is really the I am selfish, I want to get the most fees out of this block. But if you were an altruistic miner, if you care about the blockchain, there would actually be, which, which we don't have to assume, right? this is not supposed to work that way, but there would actually be things that you could do to make the blockchain better, in a sense. <coughs> so you would care about uh, how many UTXOs are there. You, you would care about uh, creating new outputs. Uh, should be disincentivized. Consuming outputs should be um, incentivized. 
right? So to, to somewhat prepare for a narrower future, where for for shortages of block space in the future. But okay, um, that aside. So uh, as a as a as the operator, as, as the user, what, how should you choose that? We've had quite a few options, and actually those are all options that are in use somewhere. I would categorize it um, in general in two areas. One is uh, rely on the current mempool, so the current outstanding transactions. And one is relying on past executed transactions. Right? Um, which one would you guess is more usual? Which one would you guess, which one of the two is, is Bitcoin Core using, for example? And by virtue of forwarding the calls to that, also quite a lot of other things. Average Sorry? of the past. It's average of the past, yes. Uh, and it's not quite average of the past. Um, using average is also maybe a stupid idea, because using average makes you susceptible to things like a miner paying himself very high fees. So um, just just paying a uh, putting a transaction up with a very high fee uh, that you don't broadcast so another miner could not take that but if you mine the block you include that transaction you pay to yourself uh, but all of that is somewhat um, yeah all averages are are taken up so um, what's you more usual than that is, is using a median of course um, or what bitcoin core for example is using is um, Looking at how much they, 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 I mean the fee rate is essentially um, continuous. They sort it in buckets, and for each of the fee bucket, um, they look at how many, um, how many transactions uh, in that bucket have been confirmed. So since I've seen them, it until it just got confirmed, how many have been confirmed in one, two, three, four, five um, blocks. Right, and then you have very high um, fee buckets, very low fee buckets. The very low fee buckets take a long time. The high fee buckets are gone immediately. Um, but this is what they use. Plus then uh, exponentially, exponential average, right? So in the, uh, with the, with the half-life of two and a half days. So very long time frames, actually. I was surprised to read that, that, um, that, that like the, the fee situation two and a half days ago still plays a major role in, um, in your fee decision, in Bitcoin Core's fee decision today. And then Bitcoin Core offers calls for um, how much do I have to pay in order to get into the third, fourth, fifth block. Um, but that is again experience over the last several days, um, giving you an, an answer for that. Could that be common parameters? Because I mean, it seems obvious when you mentioned that similar to any moving average is obviously highly susceptible to the actual length of the look-back period, right? If you want some fast-acting signal, you would choose a much shorter period. It would then possibly be too long time, but is this set in stone, or could there be a model or a, that the user could no. adjust that? I mean, what, what I explained um, is uh, as of Bitcoin Core version 0.14, and it had list of suggestions for extensions which would include multiple time windows, time, time scales. But I don't, I'm not sure how those multiple would then be combined in a way. Because you want to make it easy for the operator, right? You, he should be able to say, I want to be in the second and the third and the fourth. Uh, he should not be exposed to, I want to be in the third, uh, like assuming an, an exponential averaging over a half-life of half a day. That's, that's mental overload for the operator, for the user.
but even this question statistically doesn't make perfect sense. You never have, I mean, there must be like a probability. If I choose a fee so that I have, is there a standard percentage? Let's say 90% in the next two or something, because you never know for sure, right? It's, uh, it's not really 90% in the next two. It's um, with this fee over the last few days, um, transactions got confirmed within two, on average. Right. So that's that's one way to look at it. So um, this is another. This would be the opposite one. This is looking at the at the current mempool. Right. This is the this at this point was the mempool at six eighteen this morning. We had six hundred sixty seven transactions willing to pay twelve satoshi per virtual byte or above, and so on and so forth. So. You can use um, that then to determine um, if I want to be in the lowest megabyte of that. Uh, so the lowest four virtual megabyte of that, please excuse, and we just cut a short second. In the lowest megabyte of that, how much do I have to pay? This is also a metric that uh, blockstream.info shows on their website. Uh, how far from the tip are you measured in virtual byte? Uh, also, like a metric of, of that type. How, how far away are you currently by, by such a metric? Um, looking at this is kind of dangerous because if, uh, I mean, this is a stochastic process. Sometimes you get, on average, you get one block every 10 minutes. Uh, sometimes you get, it, get them like every few seconds, a few in, in quick succession. Sometimes it takes uh, an hour or two. Um, to get something at all. For example, here, this is totally, I think a, a nice example. We had uh, one, two, three, but really uh, rather quickly in order to get the, the mempool almost empty within three blocks. Um, that happened in like 10 minutes. Right. So uh, this will happen from time to time. And then the opposite will happen from time to time that between 208 and uh, 256, you did not have any blocks. Right? So everything that is kind of built um, on, the, on the current mempool always has this problem that, um, that, that choosing the fee now or choosing the fee 10 minutes ago might give significantly different results. Which is why Bitcoin Core is not doing that. But at the same time, this is also a reasonable approach. You might be upset about that quite, quite more often. Why did it take so long? It's Poisson distributed. It's just the, it's on average every 10 minutes. Yeah. But it's like... Is it really a day? Really just random. It's, it's really just random, yeah. There's just the reason behind it why sometimes it's lower and shorter. Just imagine you are at a, um, how, how would you call that, a Lotsstand of a dome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's called in Switzerland. <laughs> Okay, so and, and you, you can um, you are uh, quite quite good with um, with fine motoric, um, and you can open one of these lottery things per second, right? So you would expect that um, that you find something every um, every ten minutes. So every six hundred, what is lose? Lots? Yeah, but not not the whole thing. The individual. Every two, yeah, every six hundred tickets, uh, you win something. Um, but you, you would not be surprised if you, if you win something after 100, and you would also not be surprised if it takes you 5,000 to win something, right? It's on, on average that you win every 600. Yeah, I get that, that it 
theoretical approach, but uh, in this case, cannot be that some miners were just off the, or some water. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, it's um, actually, you can also uh, show it the other way around. Um, I don't have numbers for that right now, or I don't have charts for that right now, but you can, um, you can show, essentially, you, you can make buckets in time, say, how often did it happen within uh, 10 seconds, how often within 20, within 30, within 40. What you expect to get is a Poisson distribution. Right, if, you, if you do this with Bitcoin blocks, they are perfectly Poisson distributed. Um, we don't really expect miners to switch off on, on such a low um, time frame. So this question of which fee put you, should you pay is, is, uh, is a difficult one. There is no best solution and finding fee algorithms is, the, is an ongoing matter of research. Um, there is of course the, um, the one way to approach this would just be, well, I don't care that much. If I pay uh, 10 cents or 20 cents, uh, I will just always pay 20 cents. I will just systematically overpay. If you do that, then we are quite quickly in some sort of tragedy of commons type thing. Because just imagine you are at a public pool, public indoor pool. Those things can be quite noisy, but usually it's fine. But if then somebody comes in and puts on music and increases the, the, um, the volume of the music, then everybody will talk louder, louder with, you know, to still understand. At some level, you will hardly be able to understand anything. If at that point you switch off the music, it will remain at that level for quite a while. It takes a long time for the volume to go down because people scream at each other and everybody continues screaming. So you can really think of, um, of this background music as kind of the, the actual demand for transactions, the actual yeah, the demand for executing transactions. And if people tend to, to overpay, then this does accelerate and does not really go down. This is why developers are spending quite a lot of time optimizing these fee um, algorithms. I mean, the, the currently implemented one on Bitcoin Core that I described, that is not really gameable by a miner. Right? Individual, very high paying fees will not change the estimation. But, okay, now looking at it in terms of the, the correlation to, to markets, or the analogy rather that you do know the actual correlation, markets are somewhat immune to the tragedy of commons, which is what's happening here. But then, I mean, would it not regulate itself essentially the invisible hand of how much the fees, how much the fees are? Would it not come in and essentially more miners would come in, or it would be some kind of re resolution in that sense? No, if more miners would be that's willing to pick up cheaper transactions because there's more, and they'll be like, okay, yeah. anything. More, more miners, having more miners does not um, make blocks faster. It makes blocks faster for two weeks. No, it makes, right. Then, it then makes you have a, um, a difficulty adjustment, and then it's then it's gone again. But the desperation of like in terms of picking up new transactions. Just no, I mean, what would happen is that uh, that certain use cases would be priced out of uh, of the market, which decreases the actual demand for the use cases that are left. Hmm. So there, there is an equilibrium. Yes. If blocks are full or not, right? Sorry. It, it depends from the beginning if blocks are full or not, because if they're only yeah. half full and everyone is paying a Bitcoin per transaction and, and they see that they're never full, I just do a, a lower fee transaction because I'm not stupid. Mm -hmm. Then it's corrected again as well. Okay. If blocks are full, then we get into a different situation. Just like in an order book, if you're seeing yes. somebody bidding a much lower price, of course you can pick it up. Why not? So why do fees not go down further? That's again because of these algorithms that are in 
or because this is the average and it's these, these empty blocks going through that you were talking about before. No, that doesn't really happen anymore, these okay. empty blocks. No, but that's what I said, if everyone just pays, if the algorithm of your wallet or whatever says you this fee is like the normal one and everyone just o always does this fee, mm -hmm. then you're never getting away from that because, because right. the, the algorithm doesn't determine if the block is full or not. It just <coughs> does yes. a bucket thingy. Yeah, but the bucket thingy is good in that regard. Because if the bucket thingy just would... Just if someone changes the fees, if everyone Yeah, but it, it's enough that one person pays less and goes through just as fast, then the, the algorithm would adjust. I mean, you, you don't actually have to have um, many, many people to pay lower. It's, it's one person is enough. Um, but there were also times when, when, when blocks were full for an extended, for several hours, for an extended period of time. So averaging over the last two and a half days, right, the half-life is somewhat 300 something blocks. There are 144 blocks, so roughly around half, two and a half um, days. Um, half life. Uh, the, the full scale that you see here is seven days. So if you average over times where any fee would have been in the next block and times where uh, you, you needed to pay something, uh, then this ends up with non-zero, which is probably a good approach, right? It's coming, coming back to what Daniel said. Um, why don't you do something which is faster adjusting? Um, then you would end up in a situation where where you would pay zero or 0 0.1 Satoshi per virtual byte or something very low. Um, but when, if a lot of people do that, then, and you, you do have like chance having no block for three, four hours, which is not uncommon, um, then, then, then you would not distinguish yourself anymore from the rest. So you still need a spectrum of sorts, uh, also in times where uh, where any fee would have gotten you in for the like, for the last five hours. So, bottom line is, is these fee algorithms are necessary. They are inherently difficult to not be gameable and to, to produce reliable and stable results, and to not lead to frustration. For hey, I chose, I wanted fast, but still it did not get in. If you choose, right? If you if you choose fast in a situation where you had two slow blocks in a row it would still take a while. This is, um, there, there is never a guarantee for anything. Hmm? Binance have its own? Binance? Binance. recently, when we had some trouble with that, they seem to pay about 10 times what the others do. So this would be one of those behavior because for them, it's still cheap, it seems, right? If they want to be like in the next block when they have payout requests. Yeah, I mean, overpaying leads to or is seen as good customer service, especially if they bear the cost. Right, uh, and you probably, I'm not sure about Binance, I, I, I'm not in the exchange uh, world, but do you pay for the payoff? Sure, there's a fixed fee, there's a withdrawal fee that is still more than that, actually. So you would, um, as a customer, you would feel very shitty if they are cheap on the fee and you have to wait for it and don't get your arbitrage mm -hmm. opportunity, even though you paid much more than that. So I understand that they want to overpay as good customer relations, um, but at the same time, it's not really good for the ecosystem that they overpay. Right. But, um, it is, but, but on the other hand, it is good for the ecosystem because services like Bitcoin actually carry a lot of transactions, you know, like the PayPal's of the space, and you need these to bring the retail in. So, I mean, Either, yeah, we're going to have more fee parity in terms of the transaction fees paid, or we're going to have more transactions, and of course that leads towards a lot of adoption. 
Well, both is necessary. Yeah, if you want to play around, I mean, this is mempool.observer. It's a great website. Uh, it also allows you to highlight things. And if you highlight, for example, um, say, uh, op return, right? this one I find quite funny. Um, op return is just writing additional data through the blockchain that it is not used by Bitcoin. Um, so this. It's the red ones are op return, yes. Give me a second. Uh, so you see that, that somebody is uh, with quite high fee and quite equal distances um, putting small transactions within op return. So somebody probably um, uh, hashes data into the blockchain and tries to get into each, into each block. Right, so what is this for example? Sorry? What is then the op return? Op return. It's, yeah, it's yeah, data. Okay, but why would I do you have an example for that? Yeah, sure. If we um, contract and then I want to prove that we signed the contract today or whatever, if I have a picture, a picture I drew myself and I want to prove that I have the copyright, mm -hmm. then I do a hash of it and put it into the blockchain. Yes. So if someone a year, year later comes to the same picture, I can say, say I had it before, it's yeah. in the blockchain. I, I get that, but is it, who is actually, I mean, realistic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really so those university certificates, or no, they do it on the Ethereum <laughs> blockchain. So there are two that I know of. There is Open Timestamp, which is a service where you can, instead of what Bernadette suggested, to individually put your picture there, uh, you just um, register it with Open Timestamp, and they collect 100 million documents and put all 100 million in one hash in the next block. Right, so, um, so this can then be arbitrary data, but uh, you really only need one transaction to hash as many of them as you want into this. Works by Merkle trees, so I can also do an education session about that once, so that's fun. Um, okay, seems that I have a different definition to, of fun than Jan does. Um, and the other one would actually be Microsoft. Microsoft has their um, Microsoft identity um, Bitcoin, so that they anchor data into the um, uh, into the Bitcoin blockchain, um, like identity information, mm -hmm. uh, and they also. I, um, it's been a while since I caught up with this uh, with this project, but there was also that they try to get one transaction in each block. So um, those those are candidates that come to mind immediately, but I'm sure that there are more. Then there's Would also blockchains that have their own kind of mining algorithm or whatever, mm. but they still do anchoring to the Bitcoin blockchain to make it more reliable. So they would from yes. time to time also. Do Could that. also be liquid, right? Yeah. So there, there are quite a lot of those. It, it looks different every time that you use it, right? Last time it was really number of outputs. There were like two, three transactions that were huge. Those were those spam transactions that I talked about. So if you have the time, play around with that. It's, it's great fun. There is a markup even um, sometimes on freshly minted coins. Right? If you buy coins directly from a miner, you, get, uh, you have to pay more than buying it on the open market because those things are somewhat guaranteed clean. Except that this is not, not really the case because the, the freshly minted coins are not that freshly minted. Some of that is freshly minted. Some of that is just... Uh, somewhat melted, molten in and um, reminted in a sense. But could you separate this as a miner? No, you can't, because um, because yes, a block has um, has one transaction that um, of which the, the size of which is 
currently 12.5, so the subsidy plus all the difference between output and input of, mm -hmm. of all transactions that you included. So, uh, so the, the, the freshly minted coins and the rewards for mining, the, the, the fees, are one money. You cannot really, really just um, separate between those two. So this is currently negligible again, because um, it's 0 0.1 Bitcoin compared to 12.5. But in a future but where... I could still be my own miner, laundering coins as a service or whatever, and then doing, as you mentioned before, transactions that you don't publish and you pay to yourself, but you only know as the miner that you include in your own block, and yes. then you can could potentially launder all the Yes, there are. Still be detectable by analysis <coughs> analysis firms, and you have an average of thirteen Bitcoin being paid out as subsidy, subsidy plus rewards, and then suddenly you have twenty. That's quite odd. And as Two days. They would probably not flag it, but if, if there are excessive P fees being paid from individual, from one or two individual transactions, just not in general, but from one or two transactions, this will appear in CoinDesk or whatever. So it's not that the, I would guess that the, that the compliance tools do not flag it automatically, but there is discussion about those things. Um, and also maybe there is a risk to this, right? If you pay a very high fee to yourself, uh, then the moment that you broadcast that block, um, then every other miner also knows about this transaction. And what he could do is he could take your transaction, if it's worth it, discard your block, and build on the previous block to include that transaction himself, to grab that money for himself. Then he needs to have a way higher hash rate. Not, not really. This, this, that very much depends because uh, what you, I mean, you, you assume that all other miners are building on top of the most recent one. Which is mine. Sorry? Which is mine with my transactions. So if he goes one block. Yeah, but you, you assume that if there are 10 miners around you, that all 10 miners, that 9 miners, that if I'm malicious and I want to steal your self paying transaction, that I would be the only one um, mining on your parent and everybody else will mine on yours. But what if all the other, one, other ones are crooks as well, because they are egoistic as well. And we are not mining on the same block, but none of us is mining on top of yours. Right? But then so the, I'm still the one mining on top of mine, and I already have one block advantage. So even if every other miner would take that transaction, build a new block, sorry. and start again, they are too late. Um, Unless they collude, that's another thing. Yeah, well, you, you can probably do the math on, um, you, yes, I mean, what a miner risks um, by, by doing this, but not by not mining on the highest one, um, is to, to lose out on a potential reward. What he might gain is your transaction. So depending on the size of the transaction that he might gain, there is probably some point where it's worth doing it. I could already um, mine in secret two blocks and then only propagate. Why would we make it possible to overpay for transactions? There is something called child pays for parent. Child pays for parent essentially means that um, if you broadcast a transaction and you chose a too low fee and you realize that after the fact, what do you do? How can you bump your fee? RBF. RBF is one option. RBF is actually so replaced by fee. Is, uh, let's see how many do that. Those are the transactions that choose to be RBFable. Uh, and it's not that many, as you can see. 
Assuming there was change, you take the change and you put a ring juicy feed to it and you try Precise. So let me, uh, let me explain RBF maybe yes. in a second. Yeah. <laughs> RBF is... Um, <coughs> whew, where do I start with that? Probably also in 2015. Um, was a nice time. If you, if you broadcast a transaction, then it's of course intended that you cannot broadcast a competing transaction. I mean, it's impossible to broadcast an competing transaction after your transaction has been mined, right? If, you, if the first one is in a block, it's done. So if I broadcast uh, one with a too low fee and I broadcast a second version of the same transaction with a much higher fee, then, um, then it's somewhat better for the miner to, to take that transaction, to take the second one. Um, this was quite fierce discussions in 2015, 2016 about, um, about this, that this means that if I pay for a coffee and uh, I leave with the coffee before the transaction actually makes it to a block, uh, then I would somewhat hope that nobody, um, no miner takes the better paying alternative transaction, um, which is kind of wishful thinking on behalf of non-egoistic miners. Uh, that's not going to happen, right? And there is always the um, saying the miner is not allowed to take a replacement transaction, but you cannot enforce that because there is no way of to, to prove that the miner knew of the first transaction in the first place. He might just never have received that one. Right? So if, if he could reliably prove that he did have the first one, then, um, then, then we would not need the blockchain to begin with. Um, okay, so, so there were two camps in a sense. One camp was saying uh, the peer-to-peer -peer network. So if, if a transaction originates somewhere and then needs to propagate through the peer-to-peer -peer network to a miner. So there was a camp that said uh, this peer-to-peer -peer network should not forward a transaction that is, um, that, is, that is trying to spend, that is inconsistent with a previously seen transaction. So the miner would never get that transaction in the first place. So you could not even be egoistic and try to include it. But there is nothing stopping me from, from, from sending my competing malicious replacement transaction by mail directly to the miner. So this is kind of a band-aid. It doesn't really solve the problem. And there was the second camp that said, uh, please broadcast all the transactions, in, uh, consistent or not, or um, competing or not. Because if somebody tries to defraud me by running with my, with my coffee, then I at least want to know that. I want to know that somebody put out there a competing transaction, then I can still try to run after him. The way that this was kind of um, solved in a sense then, uh, these two competing camps, was to make it possible to flag a transaction as this one is intended to be replaceable by a different one. So if you receive a transaction that has this flag, this one is intended to be replaceable, um, then you, you have to be careful, there might be a replacement. And if you... Um, if you receive one which, which says, I am final, uh, then you still have to be careful because miners can act maliciously, but assuming somewhat honest participants of the network will not accept that an alternative of that guess gets through. But why would you flag a transaction already? It's basically because at the moment when you submit it, you may think that the fee is perfectly appropriate. Yeah, but so you, you might also have learned from, from similar mistakes in the past and know that what I think is appropriate now might not be appropriate in 10 minutes. So I better flag all of them as being replaceable 
um, just in order to be able to do that later. Yeah, fine, but you still have the other option, and if you really trust that this is a very rare occurring, wouldn't it be simple to just do the child rescue parent option in that direction? Right, let's come to that in a second. Uh, so just Electrum, for example, um, makes it default, you can overwrite that, but makes it default that for low paying fees, so for, for the lowest fee settings, uh, it flags that as replaced by fee, and for usual or high paying fees, it does not. Right, so you, you can mix and match all of that essentially. There are also different variants by, by replaced by fee. There's full replaced by fee and replaced by fee. Okay. So in, in enforcing that you cannot change the outputs, you can only change the relative amounts going somewhere, or you can only add an additional input to pay for the fee, but you cannot decrease any of the output amounts. Or there are all kinds of, of, of variants for that. But the problem is that none of that is enforceable. There is software that, I mean, Electrum shows it for incoming transactions, yeah. uh, but uh, two problems. First, nodes do not have to enforce that. It's kind of what's not on the blockchain is not enforced. Uh, and second is uh, there is hardly any UI that, that cares about this because it's kind of an edge case. I did not get the advantage of being the transaction being replaced. What if I send you money? Yeah, I don't no, if I, if I send you money and I choose a reasonable but low fee yeah. and then uh, I do that to pay for lunch and then at, at six I want to leave and the transaction is not yet through, okay. maybe at seven. So you tell me, hey, uh, you are not allowed to, you because of the bully that you are, tell me you are not allowed to leave unless I get my money. So, but by now there were just bad luck, two, three slow blocks uh, and the fee that was reasonable at, at, at lunchtime is no longer reasonable. How do I manage to get your transaction through? If I flag it by replace by fee in the beginning, then I can just replace it by a competing transaction that pays a higher fee, um, thereby in the mempool replacing the previous transaction by a different one, making it more likely to be picked up by, line, by miners due to the higher fees that I'm paying. Okay, and then there is re, um, child pays for parent, which is the idea that, um, say, if I pay Piro, <coughs> Um, then I pay him some amount and I pay a change back to myself. This transaction had a too cheap fee. Uh, now either of us can, that's the beauty of it, Piero can do that all by himself, he does not need me to cooperate on that, um, can, uh, can make it more likely for this transaction to go through by spending the output of that transaction. I have my change that I can try to spend, he has the output that he can try to spend, uh, and if, we, if I spend the, the change, but with a very, very high fee, overpaying everything by a lot, then the miner can only claim that second transaction, that very well-paying transaction, if he also accepts the first one. Right? Because he can only spend something which is in a block. So the second transaction is supposed to not only pay for itself, but also pay for the parent, which is, called, which is why it's called child pays for parent. But that then goes for me back to this NP hard problem of the miner, which transactions are it too, because mm -hmm. that makes it more complicated and difficult, right? Yeah, uh, but this is something which is, uh, which is done. This is in, in implemented in Bitcoin Core and probably in all dedicated um, software for mining pool operators. But then could you also not wander in a way where you then have the first one really uninteractive, the second one really uninteractive, and by like 
the 1990s, the output strength is, is an amazing award and none of the other miners would even be able to pick that up? Or is the transparency on a, on a child-based repairing budget the same as it would have been otherwise? You need to include all transactions in yeah. one block. Otherwise, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Ah, so this is restricted by law. Yeah. So um, I think we covered everything. This is close to one hour now. Are there further questions? Thank you very much for your attention. This episode was brought to you by Crypto Finance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch.